0: It's a typical gray winter's day in the English city of Nottingham. There's wind and rain. You know, it's the kind of day you just want to stay inside and cuddle up with a good book. Helen Naylor is chilling at her home. She's bored. Her kids are at school and her husband's at work. With nothing to do and eager to pass the time, she heads up to her law. It's a room that's big and dark and filled with a bunch of junk. Among the junk is a box filled with colorful, pocket-sized diaries, some of which are older than Helen herself. The diaries belong to someone very close to Helen, someone she owed her entire life to, her mother.
1: I did feel really close to my mom, and I thought we had an unusually positive (laughs) relationship.
0: Helen flicks through the old dusty diaries, hoping to relive a few memories of her childhood. You know, that amazing day at the theme park or the zoo, the time Helen made her mom laugh or even proud. Trouble is, this trip down memory lane took her to a dark place. And as Helen sat there reading, eyes wide open, she slowly began learning the truth about her mother and the truth about her childhood. Nobody likes to be played for a fool. I'm Alzo Slade, and from something else, this is Cheat. The show where we ask the question, is it ever okay to break the rules? This week, Mom's Secret Illness. A life-shattering discovery and the story of an upbringing filled with deceit.
1: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the
0: Do you love your mom? A lot of you are probably thinking, yeah, of course I do. And why shouldn't you? Your mom's the one who carried you for nine months, brought you into this world, kept the roof over your head, protected you and nurtured you. But there's a lot of people out there who have a pretty complicated relationship with their parents. Some even grow up feeling cheated, cheated out of a normal childhood. And that's what today's episode is about.
1: One of my happiest memories was when we went to America and uh, I was 16, and we had this amazing holiday, like two weeks of a proper holiday.
0: That's Helen. Thing is, these moments were one in a few. You see, Helen's mom wasn't well, and her disabilities took a toll on Helen's childhood.
1: When I was seven, my mum and dad were both diagnosed with disabilities. So my dad was diagnosed with quite serious heart and lung problems. And my mum was diagnosed with ME about the same time. And this meant that like our whole lives were just changed.
0: Helen's mom suffered from chronic fatigue syndrome, also known as ME. Doctors don't really know what causes it, but they recognize it as a long-term medical condition which causes extreme tiredness, often leaving the patient unable to do basic activities like go for a walk, go shopping, and sometimes look after your kid.
1: There was this belief that I had from then that my life would have to go on pause so that I could look after my mom and be her full-time carer. You know, I really thought I wouldn't be able to finish school. I wouldn't be able to go to university.
0: Basically, Helen would never be able to go off and have a life of her own. She'd always be tied down to look after her mom.
1: She said she couldn't walk down to the um, shop with me, the local shop. You know, I didn't go out anywhere. We didn't have, like, family get-togethers or parties or anything like that.
0: As Helen grew older, her mom's condition worsened. When she turned 25, there was more bad news. Her mom was diagnosed with Parkinson's. Parkinson's is a degenerative brain disease that can cause a whole load of physical problems. Symptoms include shaking, stiffness, slow movement, and frequent falls. And that's exactly what Helen's mom was experiencing.
1: She was having like up to a hundred falls a month. She couldn't walk. She declined really quickly. She lost a lot of weight. She got a lot more of these contractures, so all her joints were starting to seize up.
0: I mean, this sounds really scary for Helen and her mom. I can't imagine how I'd feel if my mom was going through something like that. I wouldn't want to leave her side.
1: So when she got the Parkinson's diagnosis, that was really um, where it got very difficult.
0: After the diagnosis, they wanted to find out more. They ran test after test on Helen's mom. But what came back didn't really make sense. More on that after the break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plushcare. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night, to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss.
0: Listen, I'm not a parent, but I know plenty of them it does not look easy. And if you, the parent, is suffering from two chronic illnesses, then it definitely ain't easy. But I'm not sure if that excuses some of what Helen's mom would tell her daughter.
1: Looking back now, a lot of our conversations were just really inappropriate. It wasn't all in one barrage, but she was telling me that I was fat and I was ugly and I was stupid.
0: Besides the fact that you shouldn't speak to anyone like this, but your own daughter, who put her life on hold to care for you?
1: So she'd be saying that I had stumpy fingers and my legs weren't long enough and I should have grown to this height, but I hadn't because something went wrong.
0: I mean, it's difficult for any of us to comment on the inner workings of a family. Lord knows, most of us have our own family shit that we're dealing with. And we're only hearing one side of the story. But it wasn't just abusive comments Helen had to deal with. Some of the stuff her mom apparently said was just, well, downright weird.
1: She told me about her sex life, and this is when I'm a child, not even a teenager. I reckon I was eight, and my mom used to get this magazine every single week. I was just looking at the front cover and it had this headline like I was raped or something like that. And because I was eight, I didn't know what that meant. So I said to my mom, what does rape mean? And she went into intimate detail of what that meant.
0: Telling an eight-year-old about rape? About your sex life? Now, that feels a bit out of line to me. Or maybe it ain't. Maybe moms are just being open and honest with Helen, introducing her to the big bad world a bit earlier than some parents would. Crazy comments aside, this sounds like a lot of pressure on Helen. I mean, mothers are meant to look after daughters and not the other way around. Why then did Helen have to play the role of the caregiver? Why wasn't her mom getting any proper medical treatment? Well, I guess the main reason was the doctors didn't really know what was wrong with her.
1: So she was taken to a hospital in Birmingham to kind of find out what was going on. And so they tested her for something like three months, and they tested, like, everything. And eventually I got a letter from the consultant saying that despite all their tests, they'd found nothing physically wrong with her, but due to her state, they expected her to die fairly soon.
0: In 2016, Helen's mom sadly passed away. The cause of death listed on her death certificate was Parkinson's. But hold on. The medical test said that there was nothing physically wrong with her. Maybe the docs had missed something. Maybe mom's condition wasn't physical, but mental. Two years after her mom's death, Helen made a pretty shocking discovery.
1: So my mom had written diaries when I was growing up and I didn't know about this. And when she died, I'd I'd kept the diaries, thinking that maybe I'd look at them one day. And about two years after her death, I decided to start reading them. And I found out she'd actually written them every day for 55 years.
0: Every day for 55 years. That's commitment and a whole lot of diaries.
1: A lot of it, like months and months and months of it would just be really boring. And just sort of like, um, I went shopping, the weather was good, the weather was bad, you know, blah, 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 blah.
0: But every now and again, Helen would just stumble across these bombshells.
1: So one of the first bombshells was that um, the ME that you know she'd supposedly struggled with all through my childhood wasn't real.
0: Helen thought her mom's chronic fatigue was so bad that she had to be in bed all day when Helen was at school. But actually, as it turns out...
1: She'd be going apple picking or going on city trips or having lunch with friends or shopping.
0: Here's a couple lines from one of her mom's diary entries. Put Helen to bed, 7:50. Fingers crossed, good and uninterrupted. Sat in bar chatting till 11:30. Walked to beach and back. Hot. So to be clear, Helen isn't one of those people who thinks ME isn't a real illness, which is why she's pretty pissed off that her mom was faking her symptoms
1: people with ME can really struggle to get recognition for what they're going through and stuff. And, you know, she totally mocked that. She totally mocked that. You know, she got an award for being the local health champion for her work with the ME group. And it was a lie.
0: Wow. She was winning awards? For better or worse, most of us want awards or recognition, but this doesn't really sit right. Reminds me a bit of those fake soldiers of stolen valor who make up elaborate lies and pretend that they're heroes. The thing is, this ME diagnosis was even easier for Helen's mom to convince people of, because doctors don't really understand what causes it. But what about the Parkinson's disease she was diagnosed with later? Surely you can't fake that. Mmm, well, Helen had her suspicions when she read the diaries and saw stuff like this.
1: I decided to faint. I decided to get better.
0: Decided to faint? How in the hell do you decide to faint? And it's not just here that Helen's mom was giving herself away.
1: She was telling people that she had to sleep for 18 hours a day. That if she wanted to do anything, and that means like going into town, then she'd have to rest for a week and then rest for a week afterwards. Whereas actually, she was doing things every single day. And I think she was almost like playing people off each other.
0: Hang on. Playing people off each other? Surely, if she's saying she has to rest for 18 hours a day, then the friend she was hanging out with would notice, right? Wrong. Helen's mom had a way around that.
1: She kept everybody at arm's distance. So she might go and see one friend on a Monday and say, well, I've had to rest for a whole week to be able to come here. And, you know, I'll have to rest for a whole nother week. To get over it. And then on the Tuesday, she'd go to a different friend who wasn't related to the first and just tell them the same story. I can totally see that happening. But yeah, that's what she did. She just lived this totally normal life. And yet was saying to us that she couldn't do normal things.
0: Now, with all due respect to Helen, this doesn't really seem like a normal life to me. Sounds exhausting. To fake illness, lie and juggle different groups of friends feels like way too much energy expended. So the question I'm asking, and I'm sure you're asking it too, is how could someone lie to that extent? I don't know Helen's mom. And from what it sounds like, neither did Helen. But her diaries do give us a bit of an indication of what she's like as a person, her mind and her thought process. Check out this entry. We took Helen to hospital. Helen had x-ray, turned out okay but she broke her arm about two months ago. Shock horror, suspected of baby battering, back to Annette's for late lunch. What? Back to Annette's for late lunch? I mean, if I'd just been accused of abusing my own child, I probably wouldn't be slipping in a late lunch at Annette's. Here's another entry. Gave Helen Finnegan in desperation, and it worked. 8.10 p.m. to 5.45 a.m. without a peep.
1: But she's
0: just drugged me. <laughs> and she had. Finnegan's is a brand of whiskey, and this mom had just given it to her baby girl to make her fall asleep. Here's another crazy entry from Helen's mom's diary. This one's from before Helen was born. Dad started hemorrhaging, and Doc sent him straight to hospital. Went to see him and he looks okay. Then I went to Sue's 21st. Didn't get home till 12 o'clock. Quite nice.
1: That was when she was about 20. But, like, her dad's hemorrhaging and being taken to hospital, and she's going out partying and going, oh, I'll be all right.
0: These are pretty life-changing, if not traumatic, events. And they're being written in this cool, calm, and collected manner.
1: It's so cold. And the whole way through, it's so cold. Like, even when my dad died, I thought that would be the moment when she, like, really bears her soul. But... She's more interested in getting a hat for the funeral than, you know, concerned about the fact he's died.
0: You're probably thinking, this woman is messed up. And you know what? You're kind of right. You see, Helen's mom was sick. Yeah, I know. I just spent the whole episode telling you she was faking her symptoms. And that much is true. But her problem wasn't a physical ailment. It was a mental one, something the shrinks call Munchausen syndrome. More on that after the break. Munchausen's. You might have heard of it, but do you really know what it means?
2: Okay, my name is Mark, M-A-R-C, Feldman, M-D, and I'm clinical professor of psychiatry at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa. I've been focusing on Munchausen's syndrome and related conditions in my research. If you type in
0: Munchausen's expert into Google, Dr. Feldman is the first name that comes up. So rest assured, you're in good hands. Over to you, doc.
2: Munchausen syndrome is a bit of an obsolete term. The formal term for it though is a bit clunky and that is factitious disorder imposed on self. And it refers to a situation in which a person feigns, exaggerates, or actually self-induces psychological or medical illness Because they're looking for some sort of emotional gratification, such as getting sympathy or attention, care, concern, that they feel unable to get in any other way. It's hard to say how many people have it, mainly because most people lie about having it. It's been recognized as a mental illness since about 1980, but it's occurred as early on as the Bible, when King David feigned being insane to avoid prosecution and incarceration. Yeah, that's right.
0: Even before it had the name Munchausen, people in the Bible had it. Now, you might
2: be wondering, what would cause someone to behave in such a way? The difference between, say, the hypochondriac who goes repeatedly to the doctor and complains of fears of having cancer is that the hypochondriac really believes he or she is sick, whereas the factitious disorder or Munchausen syndrome patient knows that they're lying about their symptoms.
0: Which makes it sound as if we ought to have a bit of
2: sympathy for him. Not so fast. I have to point out that calling it factitious disorder doesn't let them off the hook in the same way that pedophilia is considered to be a mental illness. But of course we prosecute people who sexually abuse children.
0: But whether we think someone with Munchausen's is to blame or not, one thing's for sure. If you lie and cheat for a long time, it starts to get noticed. And Helen noticed.
1: There were just lots of little moments where I knew it was coincidental timing, um, that she'd have relapses and things. My dad was given this quite serious diagnosis of his health problems when I was seven. And my mum coincidentally got this diagnosis of ME at the same time. And she very quickly jumped into this disabled role. Within a month, she was walking with a stick and was getting a, a disabled badge and things like that.
0: Okay. Damn. So one day she decided to be disabled and her performance with a cane and all got her a disability badge within a month. You may think she's wrong for doing it, but that's kind of impressive.
1: And then when I went off to university, she had a relapse of ME. So she said that she couldn't visit me um, because she was too ill. And then when I became pregnant with with my son, that's when she got a Parkinson's
0: diagnosis. It was like anytime the attention was off Helen's mom, she thought of some lie to bring the focus back onto her. Clearly, Helen knew something wasn't right. But it's not like she could just call out her mom. After all, it's pretty mean to go around accusing a disabled person of faking their disability, especially when that person is your own mother. But it wasn't until her mom died that Helen's suspicions were confirmed. And I'm not talking about the diaries. I'm talking about the test results.
1: You know, she was having, like, breast scans, bone scans, bowel scans, I don't know, literally everything. And, of course, everything always came back negative.
0: And then there were the doctor's notes, which basically said that there was no physical evidence to suggest she had a degenerative disease. No wasting of the brain, no chemical problem, nothing. So, why then did she keep getting medical treatment? And how did she end up getting that Parkinson's diagnosis in the first place?
2: It's very easy to trick the system, even though you're dealing with highly educated and high prestige professionals like doctors, nurses, and other healthcare personnel, because we're taught in medical school, and I can vouch for this, to trust what the patient says. And we're taught that what the patient tells us about their illness is the single best indicator of what's going wrong. Certainly, a physical exam is helpful. Lab tests are helpful. Even exploratory surgery can be helpful. But we really have to focus on what the patient tells us. We're never taught to disbelieve a patient.
0: Bottom line, it's the system the very foundation of medicine and medical training that allows people with Munchausen's to slip through the cracks. Who should you trust more, the patient or the science? I mean, on the one hand, it's like these guys are taking up doctors' time, using up precious resources, and they don't even need it. But on the other hand, the links that some patients go to to convince the doctors that they're sick is a sickness in and of
2: itself. One patient who did terrible things to herself. And it reached the point where she did things like inject herself with bacteria to cause a blood infection that almost killed her. She instilled a caustic substance into her bladder, which forced removal of the bladder. She boiled some lead items and drank the water to induce lead toxicity, lead poisoning. One British patient who actually ended up under my care in the U.S. who got around 600 hospitalizations and had 42 abdominal surgeries, most of which she didn't need, and her abdomen was badly scarred. Some of them die as a result of what they've done to themselves or what doctors have done to them in the effort to make a definitive diagnosis.
0: In all of these cases, the blame ultimately lies with the person with Munchausen. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't feel sorry for them.
2: I have always felt a sympathy, or an empathy at least, for patients with factitious disorder, at least when they harm themselves. Because... They often can't think of other ways to get the attention and concern that they need in everyday life. Because they have depression or personality disorders, they don't have straightforward verbal ways of asking for what they need. Instead, they act out, in a sense, in deceptive ways. And that makes me feel sorry for them. You got to understand where the doc is coming from. Munchausen
0: syndrome is basically his life's work, and he's taken an oath to treat the ill to the best of his ability. So he's not so quick to judge and condemn these patients. And these patients are kind of like the rest of us, I suppose. They want care and affection. They just have a funny way of getting it. While this may be the case,
2: not every medic shares the doc's desire to help. Most doctors dealing with these patients uh, want nothing to do with them. Some people have advised if you encounter one of these patients, run as fast as you can in the opposite direction. Nobody likes to be played for a fool. That's true. Helen
0: certainly didn't. And those lies her mom told, they've had some seriously damaging effects.
1: It's hard for me to love her because I don't really know who she was. You know, it's hard for me to put together this idea of of the mum I knew and the mum I've read about in the diaries. And putting that all together is quite hard. And you can't really love someone you don't know. But I did really care about her and I really did want the best for her. I mean, she cheated the system, she cheated her friends, she cheated the NHS. You know, all those resources and time and the people who helped her You know, there's so many of her friends that are proper annoyed because they'd carry her shopping for her because even though they were older than she was, they felt like they had to look after her.
0: This does kind of beg the question, if someone has a legitimate mental condition that makes them cheat and lie to everyone around them, does that make them a cheat? Helen's mom didn't have a doctor like Mark Feldman in her life. If she had, maybe things would have been different. Maybe they would have spotted her Munchausen's earlier. Maybe she would have received the treatment she needed, not the one she wanted. You can read more about Helen's story in her new book, My Mother, Munchausen's and Me." Hey, folks, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Cheat wherever you get it. And please do leave a rating and a review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. Also, if you want to listen to the show without the ads, you can subscribe to Cheat Plus. It's like Cheat, but better. It's just $2.99 a month, or if you're in the UK, £2.49. And you get all of this without having to listen to those annoying commercials. Just go to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe instead of follow. You can try it for free now. Next time on Cheat.
2: I was definitely lied to. I was led to believe that I couldn't be happy as a gay person, that I would be miserable and lonely. When I look back at that, the time that I was miserable and lonely was when I was fighting that part of myself.
0: Cheat is written and presented by me, Alzo Slade. This episode was produced by Kaf Opada. The executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. The series editor is Ennis Bowen. The original idea for this show was developed by Tom Fuller. Engineering, sound design, and scoring by Martin Peralta at Output Media. Our design and visual team is Emma Lansdowne and Sarah De La Rue. Our production coordinators are Jennifer Mystery and Iker Egbatola.